The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women's Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at jermccarthy 74 On this week's show, our VIP special guest is UCC women's hockey captain, Abby O'Mahony, following her side's Munster Women's Senior Hockey Cup final success. We hear from the Cork Senior Camogie Camp following their Division 1A loss to Galway, and we get the aftermatch reaction from the Cork NGFA Seniors following their National League victory over All Ireland Champions Meath. Plus, we round up all the latest underage, inter county, and under 21 club championship news. Big Red Bench AFLW expert Mike Cran has all the latest sign and trade updates, plus, we pay homage to a retiring Cora Staunton. Resident Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie joins me to preview the Australian Grand Prix. Monster Women's rugby chairperson Wendy Keenan reviews all the latest news, plus looks ahead to Ireland's crunch Six Nations weekend clash. And finally, Monster Women's hockey Piero Graham Catchball has all the latest Monster Women's hockey and EY League updates. That's all to come on this week's Women in Sport podcast. Twenty twenty three Munster Women's Senior Hockey Cup final winning captain Abby O'Mahony joined us on the Big Red Bench to discuss UCC's fantastic success over Cork Harlequins. Abby also spoke about bouncing back from a crucial Munster Women's Hockey Division one defeat to the same opposition and playing two crucial games in two days. Abby also looked ahead to UCC's pivotal EY1 league qualifier against Queen's University and trying to finish top of this year's Munster Women's Hockey goal scoring charts. Now we are delighted to be joined on this week's Big Red Bench by the UCC Women's Senior Cup final winning captain, Abby O'Mahony, following her side's fantastic victory over Harlequins on St. Patrick's Day. Abby, you're very welcome to the Big Red Bench. Thanks a million for having me. It's lovely to talk to you. Um, St. Patrick's Day was a hectic day for UCC. You uh, drew with Harlequins, a team you know very well, in the Munster in the Women's uh, Senior Munster Women's Senior Hockey Cup final. And the shootout went your way. But how important were your defence that day, Abby, and your goalkeepers in such a tight game? Um, yeah, I think we know Harlequins too well at this stage. Um, it was always going to be a really tough game. Um, the first half was fairly even. Um, I suppose we both had equal chances. And then definitely, um, you can ask anyone who's at the game, uh, we were defending for the whole second half, basically. Um, so we were so lucky to have two outstanding goalies on the day. Lorna, who played the first half, and Joy, who played the second. Um, our back four were extremely solid and calm as well on the ball. And so were our defensive show corner team. So uh, we were so lucky to have yeah, yeah it, it was what I would describe as a very, very tight cup final, a very, very nervy cup final, and that's the way they can go sometimes. There was also a bit of history there in that the previous year's final ended in a 2-2 draw, which Harlequins won in a shootout. So when you just before you started the shootout, was, or even before the cup final as well, was that in your minds or had anybody spoken about it or was this just a fresh new game? Um, yeah, definitely. That was definitely in our minds. And also um, the previous week we lost in shuttles to CI. Um, so we made sure that week to prepare them well between um, people taking them and both their goalies. So we definitely went in extremely confident and ready for them. So we were delighted we prepared them well. Yeah, um, you can prepare as well as you can, but shuttles, much like penalty shootouts in, in soccer now and in Gaelic football as well, like uh, the difference in hockey is that you get a run at the actual, you know, the goalkeeper, Like, but you've got to have that confidence and it's a real one-on-one kind of standoff. I mean, are they things you enjoy yourself or would you rather you didn't have to experience them? Um, I think I've just blocked them in at this stage now. Mm. Um, eight seconds actually goes 
um, really slow. So I just kind of learned to take my time doing them and stick to the plan. So we always say that in the huddle. Just think of a plan in your head and just stick to it. Don't change halfway. Um, but yeah, confidence is key. Definitely going into those shuttles uh, from the very start. How important, again, as the captain, is it that like a lot of players know one another pretty well on this UCC team? You've, there's, a, there's a good core of you that have been together now for a number of years. You've come up through the ranks. But uh, when it gets to senior level, it, it is the pinnacle here in Munster women's hockey. Like It's not easy to win a cup. It's a fantastic achievement. But like was it was the experience, as you mentioned, losing the week before to see a volley, like on shuttles and things like that, that you were able to absorb that and not let it get at get to you, that you just stuck to what you do best and you defended exceptionally well and then held your nerve in the shootout? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as a college team, I think it's so important that we know each other really well. Um, we're able to talk and communicate well on the pitch because sometimes the you know the older, more experienced girls from other teams can I talk you and everything like that. So, uh, definitely the week before we learned uh, from our shuttles and bounced on, bounced back on it, and uh, practiced then at that training that week. Um. So we definitely took a lot from previous losses and the year before on shuttles. So I think because there was a big group of us who lost last year, um, I guess wins, we didn't lose that many. Mm. Uh, we all were kind of gunning for it this year and we knew the trophy had to be ours this year. Yeah, I can, I can hear that in your voice, spoken like a true captain. Yeah. Is this an easy group to be captain of and you can be as honest as you possibly want here now because nobody's going to interrupt you? Yeah, definitely. They're all my best friends, really. Um, I played with them through school, through club, through Munster, all the way up through the age groups. Um, so, uh, yeah, I actually enjoy it, in fairness, now, uh, even though they, they aren't afraid to speak back to me, which is great. Wow, okay. Um, but, yeah, it's great. That's uh, that's about the most honest captain's appraisal without getting anyone into trouble I've heard in a long time from a team, so fair play to you. You're listening to Abby O'Mani, the captain of the Women's Senior Munster Hockey Cup final winning UCC team here on the big red bench now uh, you won the cup final lots of excitement great celebrations immediately afterwards but the following day you were back out again Abby playing in a Munster women's Munster division one and a very very important one against your fellow title rivals Harlequins for the second time in less than four in 24 hours which unfortunately you lost 2-0 now we don't want to dwell on the result because all is not lost in terms of the Munster women's division one title race but uh, as an athlete and as a you know, a serious and a senior hockey player and a very good one. How difficult is it on the body and the mind too to play two such important games in such a short period of time? Yeah, it was a pity that those two big games clashed together. Um, two huge games, Cup Final and League Decider, really. Um, so we just had to go home, prepare, because this happens a lot in hockey. Um, we're used to it through inch pros through the years, underage inch pros, where you play games back to back or school games and club games. Um, so it didn't really phase us that much, I suppose, in that sense. Uh, but definitely on the day, I felt both sides went a bit, went in a bit tired. Uh, even though, uh, personally, I think we performed better. We had a lot more chances. Uh, we had a corner, unlike the day before. Um, but pity we lost. Uh, Crimson's got two great goals and two short corners. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and you, you mentioned there the fact, look, I suppose th- there's a lot of questions in other women's sports at the moment, like ladies football, like Camogie, about the number of games and the training for your college, for your club, for your school and everything that you might be involved in. That You know, sometimes the toll can can be a bit heavier. But you mentioned there when it comes to hockey, this is not an unusual occurrence to play two big games in two days because you've represented at interprovincial level and you've played at schools level. You can have games back to back. But 
I, I mean, obviously you would prefer there was a bit of room and a chance to, to recover properly in between those games. But is it a fact of life then in senior hockey that you just have to get on with it? Yeah, definitely. Um, this is always the case um, with senior hockey from playing when I was playing a guard off in UCC with league games, CY games, uh, Monster Cups, and there's also the Div 1 Cup. Um, so we've had a few double already uh, before last weekend. Uh, so it's definitely not unusual in hockey, yeah. Um, so you're just going to have to take it on the chin and roll with it. Yeah, you're tough, tough nuts, the old uh, Munster hockey players, definitely. I, I, yeah. I've, I've come across well, you don't complain, you just get on with it. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you about, I mean, from the outside looking in, and we've spoken about this with Graham Catchball week after week here on the Big Red Bench, the popularity of women's hockey and schoolgirls hockey, I don't think has ever been as high in recent times. Or maybe it's a, a post-COVID thing, I'm not too sure. But more and more clubs, and I would include my own club, Clannacilty, which won an under-16 and under-18 on the same day on Patrick's Day, which was a huge boost for a rural club in West Cork uh, in terms of Munster hockey. A lot more schools are taking it up. A lot more girls are getting involved. And a lot more, there seems to be an increase in the interest. And certainly from the media side of things, we're certainly delighted here on the Big Red Bench to focus on it and you know promote as much as we can. As a player, do you notice that or has it been much of the same or do you actually get a sense that, yeah, there is a lot more people getting involved in playing um, uh, within Munster Hockey right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I coach as well as a part-time job and I can see it. Definitely um, more people at more games. Clubs are full to the brim with kids looking to join. They're, they don't have much more room. Um, I think it's come from the Irish senior women's team back in 2019 when they reached the World Cup final, um, that definitely made a point um, how far hockey is coming and made, inspired a lot of young girls to keep it up um, and take it up, I suppose. And definitely more schools in Cork, especially, I've noticed, uh, have promoted and encouraged young girls to, you know, to keep it up instead of giving it up at a young age. Mm. Um, and, yeah, exactly like the media, um, you know, showing results and keeping everyone in the loop of women's hockey in Munster and Ireland has definitely made a huge difference, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it definitely has. And I think Graham Catchpole and Munster Hockey deserve huge credit for that because certainly on social media, you're very, very active around the weekends when things are happening. Um, obviously, Twitter and Instagram for old people like myself, I don't necessarily cover it on TikTok. I presume there's some bit on there too. But it is good to see... Um, the increase and the reaction and the engagement. And as you said, you see it at the ground level as a coach as well uh, with younger girls taking it up and a very good point about the Irish team. Not so long ago getting to the, to the World Cup final, like you said, um, has had a big positive effect. Let's hope it continues. Um, before we finish up, your season is far from over. You're still in a battle uh, with Harlequins for the uh, Women's Monster Division 1 and you also have a pretty important EY1 League qualifier coming up soon. Yeah, um, we're playing Queen's uh, University up in Belfast uh, this Saturday. Uh, so yeah, that's in the EY1 uh, qualifiers. Uh, so we're hoping to get a win out of that. We actually came across Queen's last year in the exact same position mm. in the qualifiers. And unfortunately, we lost. Um, so this time around, I think we're uh, looking to get a goal and start well, uh, start on the right foot. Uh, we've been practicing our corners and uh, hopefully we'll have a defence like we did in the cup final and uh, we're all really looking forward to it with the full uh, squad this weekend so excellent yeah it'll be an interesting one can't wait for it 
Very good, and the best of luck on that. You mentioned goals there, and interestingly enough, as you probably don't know, or maybe you do know, one of the most popular sections of our Munster Talk each week uh, is the goal-scoring charts, which are produced by Munster Women's Hockey. And you are currently lying in fourth place after the past weekend, so you're having a particularly good year. First of all, congratulations on that. You're obviously enjoying that. Um, Do you check the goal-scoring charts to see if the other teams and who's scoring ahead of you? Uh, thank you. Um, well, myself and my team at Emma Sullivan, we kind of have a running joke, joke on the sideline. Who's going to get the goals this weekend and who's going to top who? Um, so, yeah, we kind of check it out that kind of fun way. You um, check it every day. Yeah. Go on, admit it. You check it for the minute it comes out. <laughs> yeah, we do. Well, myself and Emma are very competitive with this. Well, but, uh, uh, Emma's at the top and she's playing with this. Yes, I was going to uh, say, yeah. So what yeah. happens if you're level on the final day and you're going through and Emma's in a better position? Do you take the shot or do you pass it to her? Um, I'd have to take the shot. Okay. <laughs> Sparks flying on the UCC sideline following that statement. <laughs> Spoke her like a proper know, yeah. goal scorer, Abby. Well done. She Listen, say the same, I'd say she might. Yeah, so we're going to keep a close eye on that goal scoring charge right to the end of the season here on the Big Red Bench with Munster Women's Hockey. But for now, uh, UCC captain, congratulations once again to UCC and yourself on winning this year's Women's Senior Cup final, beating Harlequins 3 1 on the shootout, as we said. And good luck this weekend away to Queen's University. It's been a real pleasure talking to you and hopefully we might catch up with you again just after this season has ended to get your your recap and how it all finished and uh, one final chat about those goal scoring charts as well how does that sound uh, yeah that sounds great thanks a million Abby Omani thanks for joining us here on the Big Red Bench the Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Monster Hockey PRO Graham Catchball rejoins me on this week's Big Red Bench to recap the latest Monster Women's Hockey Monster Division 1 EY League Schools Interpros and International News Plus, we take a look ahead to upcoming women's hockey fixtures. Another busy week and weekend of Munster Women's Hockey. Lots happening both in women's EY1, EY2, and of course in the women's Munster Division 1 leagues and a lot of cup action as well recently. And on top of all of that, the one thing that everybody wants to know is what's the current state of play in the women's Munster top scores. That's the only reason Graham Catchball and I are here on this podcast anymore, which is just because that's all people ask me about. But it's great to have Graham back to go through another action pack week. Graham, how are you? Very welcome back to the bench. Very good, Jared. Thanks for having me again. Let's crack on. Um, let's start with a very, very good result in women's EY1 for Catholic Institute. Yeah, super result um, for Catholic Institute at the weekend. Uh, a 4-2 victory over Northern side uh, Pegasus um, at home in, in Ross Bryan. Uh, Irish internationals Roisin Upton and Naomi Carroll getting a brace each. Um, so keeping them in the in the hunt for the the EY one title going into the into the final weekend this weekend. So um, all to play for this weekend. You know, the, the, there's three teams that I suppose can walk away with the title at the weekend, and and Institute are very much uh, one of those. Um, so great to great to see it's going down to the wire. Um, uh, you know, uh, the last weekend. So it'll make it make for some very uh, very nervous people watching watching Twitter uh, scores as they go in across the weekend. Yes, and that's what it's all about brilliant end to the women's EY1 season as we said now we'll talk about the fixtures a little later on but right now as it stands with one round of fixtures going Loretto top of the table with 35 points UCD 33 points and Catholic Institute are in there on 32 points great result from against Pegasus puts them in the mix and uh, we'll talk a little bit about those fixtures and what that weekend means very very shortly but you're right it's going to be very very exciting um, let's turn our attention to women's EY2 and uh, contrasting fortunes for UCC and for Harlequins 
Yeah, so so two tough fixtures, I suppose, for 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 both sides. Um, starting with Harlequins making the making the difficult trip up the the north of the country up to face Queen's University. Unfortunately, coming unstuck and and and, and losing three two. Um, uh, Clean the sergeant uh, back on the score sheet. Um, for for the first time, I think this season, and Michelle Barry and and notching up another goal. Um, so what it means, I suppose, for Harlequins is that is they complete the group and finish in third place. Um, UCC um, uh, had a very strong result, uh, 4-2 win over, over Muckras at home, um, Irish International, Cuiva Purdue, and Emo um, Sullivan and Abby O'Mahony with, with a goal each as well. Um, so that puts the students, I suppose, in, in third place in their group also. So what that means, Ger, is, is the teams in second and third in both both groups go into a, a playoff at this point, which means uh, this weekend UCC will play uh, Queen's University away from home. Um, so um, that's a repeat of, of, of last year's actual actual uh, qualifiers. Uh, so it'll be an interesting affair. Um, and Harlequins will travel um, away to Avoca in Dublin um, to, to, I suppose, face, face the Dublin side to, to try and get into um, the finals weekend, which will be towards the, the, the end of April slash start of May. Um, Corinthians and Ulster Elks make it through to the um, to the actual finals weekend by virtue of, of finishing top of those groups. Yes, and look, UCC and Cork Harkins, they're in the mix. Um, it's fantastic. There's a bit of travelling involved again uh, for both of them. What's interesting to me is that you've mentioned there recently, or the last couple of minutes, a lot of the goals being scored by the likes of Roisin Upton, the likes of Niamh Carroll, Quiva Purdue, back in goal scoring form against great to see the Irish internationals performing for their clubs. And we took particular interest in the fact that Emma O'Sullivan and Abby O'Mahony each scored for UCC as well, because our special guest this week, Abby O'Mahony, is the UCC captain, spoke about the goal scoring exploits of herself and Emma She's chasing him down on the top of the goal scoring charts, which we'll get to later on. But back to that point, Graham, Irish internationals delivering for their clubs. Yeah, and, and I suppose at the business end of the season, you know, the, I suppose that they really are starting to show their class and in, uh, in the in the important games. Um, this weekend will will be a real test for for both Harlequins and um, and UCC. Um, so you know, two tough away fixtures, um, but hoping hoping one you know one or both uh, qualify for the for the finals weekend. Likewise, as well for for Institute, you know, Roisin Upton and, and Naomi Carroll again, you know, coming up with a brace each in in what was a very very tricky fixture um, they go into the final weekend they travel away to to Monkstown I suppose who are you know down towards uh, the, the middle of the table there hoping that they can get a victory and hoping then that Loretto and UCD um, are are I suppose uh, have have more difficult fixtures I suppose on paper and, and hope, hopefully they come unstuck at the weekend so yeah it's a, it's really set up for a very exciting uh, weekend across the EY leagues it certainly is. Apologies, Naomi Carroll. I called you Niamh Carroll. Naomi Carroll, of course, who scored there in those games. Right. We also have a big result for Church of Ireland in the Women's Examiner uh, Cup semi-final. And we now know how that's all going to play out, Graham. Yeah, so um, the Examiner Cup final is going to be played um, in the finals weekend uh, towards the end of April. So um, Church of Ireland uh, booked their place, um, defeating Crescent eight uh, one, uh, quite a comprehensive victory. Christina Dring with uh, with a hat trick in, in in that particular fixture. Nicola Kerr with two. Kira Sexton adding to her goal tally, um, and 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 um, uh, Julie Coyne, uh, Sophie De Courcy with with the other goals. Um, the the final will be played, as I said, in a, in a final. Uh, I suppose the the end of April um, and it will either be Ashton or Bandon in the final they are playing actually um, the evening this podcast goes out um, so Thursday evening um, in what will be no doubt another very close affair between the two sides 
It certainly will. Great to see that cup coming to a, to a closure. It's going to be interesting no matter who gets into that final band in Ashton. They're going to have their work cut out. Church Vernon putting on uh, or knocking in eight goals there. Before we move on and look ahead to the fixtures, there's a couple of other results. Black Rock getting a 2-0 win over Waterford in the Munster Women's Munster Division 1 was significant. It was their third victory of the season. Um, so well done to them. And then we also had the Women's Irish Senior Cup semi-final involving Catholic Institute as well. Yeah, a, a real... Uh tough uh, weekend for, for mm. Institute and for, for Railway um, so they played uh, a double weekend and, and on Sunday they were in their, their Irish Senior Cup semi-final Catholic Institute of course the holders of, of this title from, from last season um, a, a bit of a war of attrition I think on, on the day um, the, the game actually ending in, in an in-all draw um, but uh, Catholic Institute um, managed to to hold their nerve I suppose and, and come away with a 4-2 victory on the on the shootout so delighted to, to see Institute into another Irish Senior Cup final um, and they'll be facing Monks down in that final um, who they are also playing this weekend in the league so uh, this weekend's game is, is, is very much um, I suppose an, almost an appetiser for that senior cup final um, that, that is due to be played the start of May Yes, lots of big games coming thick and fast and teams certainly meeting each other more than once will know each other ahead of those uh, those big showdowns. Before we look ahead to the big fixtures that are coming up over the next seven days, let's just have a quick recap. We've already recapped women's EY1 and EY2, uh, the final pools involving all the monster clubs, but in women's monster division one, it is crunch time. Cork Harlequins top of the table uh, with 12, uh, 11 wins out of 12 games and uh, on Thursday, night they play at Belvedere team who've yet to win a game uh, Graham and this is a significant fixture because if the result goes their way Cork Harlequins will be champions yeah, so it's th- Thursday evening when this when this podcast goes out. Um, Harlequins will be travelling um, to to Belvedere, um, hoping to secure that that league title. Uh, currently sitting four points ahead ahead of UCC in the table. Um, a, a victory will secure them that that title. So um, I'm sure that Belvedere will have a lot to say about that as well. Belvedere, I suppose, are, are clinging on for for dear life at the bottom of the table, and you know they 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 realise that I suppose they need this win as well, and 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 another one to to avoid the, the relegation um, so but it, it'll definitely make for an interesting uh, fixture because Belvedere have been improving of late as well um, but but Harlequins are going to go into that strong strong favourites Indeed they are now you have called uh, Belvedere out not in fairness in recent podcasts as well so look it's uh, it, uh, Belvedere have nothing to lose here so that's the danger with Cork Harlequins but we wish them well because uh, if they can do it at all at this stage and, and wrap up the title they'd be hoping to do that we mentioned also on Saturday Monkstone and Catholic Institute's EY1 um, the the qualifier there, uh, uh, and also on uh, in EY two the playoffs. Sorry, uh, Avoca and Harlequins and Queens University and UCC and in EY one Catholic Institute traveling to Monkstone. No, they travel to Monkstone, so nothing less than a win. I'm assuming in their final, and this is their final women's EY one league fixture, is the only way that they can stay in the title hunt because we don't know what will happen in the UCD and Loretta Hockey Club final games. Yeah, it, it is. They they have to win, and and then it it it, it could come down to, to goal difference at the end of the day. So they need to win, and they need to win uh, by a significant margin, depending on how the other results go. I suppose um, UCD face face Pegasus, who, who and that'll be a very close um, close affair. So quite possible that Pegasus could could um, uh, could be UCD. Um, the the other one, I suppose, then is uh, Loretto. I think are playing Pembroke, um, a, a local. Do- 
Dublin derby again. So Pembroke um, again, at, at, you know, fifth place in the table. So it'll be a tough game for for Loretto as well. So it's it it really is. Um, you know, it's it's in Institute's hands if if they if they win. It's it's quite possible you could see the the title. Uh, you know, uh, go to go to the Limerick side. So um, they need a bit of luck, but um, you know, it's it's definitely not beyond the the bounds of possibility. Yes, and as we said, look, they're in the mix, and you can't ask for any more. Like going to the last day of the season, we wish them well in that. Uh, plenty of uh, ups and downs I think we'll be talking about in next week's podcast and some drama too no doubt um, in Munster Division 1 before we finish up um, there are two games involving Munster clubs as well here I've got four, club, four Munster clubs involving but Bandon taking on Waterford an opportunity for Bandon possibly to move up the table at Ashton's expense um, but also Belvedere taking on uh, Church of Ireland now Church of Ireland will want to win as well here uh, because they want to keep on UCC's coattails who are in second place yeah, so so a, a win here, I suppose, for for Church of Ireland would actually draw them level with uh, with UCC with um, you know a game extra played, um, and it would really kind of put a bit of pressure on on I suppose the students in 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 second place to to I suppose close out the season strong, um, and and they do face each other um, you know before the end of the season as well. So um, you know, see, I know it's it's vital that they they win against Belvedere this weekend. In the other game, then Bandon um, will look to to lead Prague Ashton into into fourth place, um, and um, uh, I suppose uh, will be maybe slight favourites against uh, Waterford. Although Waterford have, have had a couple of upsets against Bandon recently, um, but that that should make a, make for an interesting game as well um, towards the end of the season. Indeed, and we'll talk all about it on next week's podcast when we may well know the uh, final outcome of Women's EY1 and the Women's Monster Division 1 that we've just been talking about. Uh, we'll see how the how the cards, where the cards lay after all those games. Uh, obviously, we have to check the Monster Women's top scorers at this stage now because Abby O'Man is, wants to know what the story is. As she said from her interview earlier, and at the top is our good friend and teammate UCC's Emma Sullivan and 19 goals. Cork Harlequin's players, though, are hot on our heels. Bethann O'Farrell has 17, Michelle Barry 16, Abby O'Man there she is the captain on 15 Keira Sexton Church of Ireland as well getting a couple of goals this week moving up into 5th with 14 goals Kate Harvey from Ashton has been a regular throughout the season she's 13 as has Yvonne O'Byrne from Cork Harlequins uh, Olivia Roycroft from Bandon has 12 goals she's having a particularly great season and Julia McCarthy as well for Cork Harlequins a lot of Cork Harlequins players in that top uh, in that top 12 um, showing the strength and depth of that panel Quiva Purdue Irish International as well from UCC she picked up a couple of goals in the week she's up to 9 Isabel Martin from Church of Ireland on 8 and of course Katie Desmond from Bandon on seven and that's one table I can't wait to see the finish of at the end of the season that's going to be the most interesting before we finish up you have news as well of uh, the Munster Hockey Awards yeah, so the, the the annual Monster Hockey Awards will take place on the on the twelfth of May in the the uh, International Airport Hotel um, in in Cork. Um, voting is is now open uh, via our social channels um, to um, I suppose vote for things like you know Player of the Year, Young Player of the Year, Umpire of the Year, uh, Volunteer of the Year. Um, so we we'll encourage anybody to uh, to check out our social channels and um, uh, get your votes in. Brilliant stuff, and we of course will uh, will help with the retweeting and the and the social media messages there. Uh, Graham Cashball once again hectic hectic week. Next week going to be just as hectic. But thanks very much for joining us on the big red, big red bench to take us through all the latest action. Thanks a million, Jar. The big red bench. Saturday and Sunday from six pm. Resident Red FM Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie Foley joins me on the big red bench to discuss all the latest on and off track Formula One headlines around the twenty twenty three season. You can find more of Sarah McKenzie Foley's expert Formula 1 analysis on her active social media accounts on YouTube, Sarah McKenzie F1, Instagram, MacGram underscore, 
and on Twitter, MacTweets underscore. Now then, ahead of the Australian Grand Prix, which takes place this weekend, we are joined as ever uh, by Corkshire FM's resident uh, Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley, to preview the next GP on the uh, on the on this year's. Uh, Formula One, and uh, talk about a few other off-track issues as well. Sarah, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Ger. Happy to be here, as always. Yes, and happy to hear your expert opinion rather than me warbling on about things like Ferrari, which I will do shortly. But before we get to that, unfortunately, we have to uh, talk about... Uh, something that's not very pleasant, but something that needs to be addressed. And that's Nelson Piquet, who was fined for racist and homophobic language about Lewis Hamilton uh, during a 2021 interview. What have you got for us on that? Yeah, so lots of people will probably remember this when it actually happened. And just to clarify, this is Nelson Piquet Sr., not Jr. So just just in case there's any confusion there. But yeah, as you say, he did use racist and homophobic, homophobic language when referring to Lewis Hamilton actually twice in interviews in 2021. And it ended up going to the courts in Brazil and he's been charged um, with this. And there's a fine that's close to $1 million and essentially there were four different human rights groups kind of came together to bring this case and they eventually won. And PK had apologized to Hamilton previously, but he also kind of said, oh, it's because my comments were mistranslated, which was sort of shirking, shirking the Mm. responsibility a bit there. So I think it's just, it's good to see that this has actually come to some sort of, you know, justified conclusion, because I think it would have been really problematic and kind of set a bad precedent had it just been let to slide. Absolutely. Um, two things on that, from my point of view, it is good that the groups that did come together called it out and didn't accept what was a pretty mm. poor attempt at a, um, uh, at, a, at a an apology. Um, mm. It's also good that he spoke to uh, Lewis Hamilton face to face and apologised. I think that's important. But I do think that uh, we've talked about it before and we talked about this back in 2021 when it actually happened. But we've talked about... Um, Formula One's uh, PR has never been more important to the outside world for the people that own the money that run it and allowing something like this, which is unacceptable, uh, should never have been, you know, it cannot be tolerated in any sport or walk walk of life. Um, I think it's a good thing that it's been addressed. I think it's a good thing that it's been highlighted. But I think more importantly that uh, anyone else that has any ideas or far right wing or stupid childish ideas that they can say something similar now knows what the consequences are and they won't be left get away with it. I think that's probably the big thing out of it, Sarah, really. Yeah, and I think the other side of it is, you know, for people of colour and people who are from the LGBT community, you know, they're, Lewis is the only black driver. There haven't been any outwardly Mm. gay drivers. So, you know, if you see that kind of language being used towards, you know, the person who is arguably one of the greatest, not even arguably, just one of the greatest drivers of all time, you know, if you have aspirations of being a racing driver, that's not going to encourage you. That's going to make you feel, you know, discriminated against. So I think, yeah, absolutely. There's um, there's a lot of positives here to the fact that it, it has been brought to a, a proper conclusion. Yeah, lessons learned, hopefully, and anyone stupid enough to utter anything similar in the future will uh, will get the same treatment. On to matters on the track. Now, last week, we did focus quite a lot on the front runners and the early front runners, Red Bull, which we expected uh, with Mr. Verstappen flying off into the distance, Perez checking him a little bit. Um, we did also talk about Aston Martin and the surprise packet, even at this early stage, but what Alonso and the rejuvenated Alonso, what he looks like and how he's driving. We did touch on Mercedes, like we always have to do contractually with you and uh, Lewis Hamilton. You know, it's 
part of your remit. But we're going to talk about the midfield now because you've had a good look at that and it's been quite interesting actually in the midfield in the battle. And <laughs> I'm going to mention Ferrari in the midfield because that's where they are. So let's start there. Oh, so, I, so I can cry and you can give the expert opinion and I can just cry. So off you go. I mean, I think it's... You would hate to see it, wouldn't you? But I suppose that is, it's kind of happening. They are slipping back a little bit, you know. Um, We saw the closest qualifying session in recent memory during Bahrain, as far as all the field being um, within literally seconds of each other. And it's interesting that actually all the four teams that we're going to talk about, aside from Ferrari, started off stronger last season than this year. And that's surprising because we're a year now into these kind of new regulations and new developments, but, and obviously we've had driver changes, but there isn't necessarily that indication yet that they're kind of maximizing it. Mm. So, you know, you have a team like Haas who obviously brought in Nico Hulkenberg, their Ferrari engine gives them the potential to perform. And then the drivers, you look at them, they have a good mix of both experience and then hunger, given that this is not their first bite of the cherry but we haven't seen them quite match the performance of last year yet. So, you know, they'll they'll continue to have development updates during the year. They'll hope that they're going to continue jumping up the constructors. They went from 10th in 2021, um, you know, to 8th in 2022. But I think there's a couple of teams there in that roundabout, that kind of space that we're just not quite seeing the positive indicators yet. You know, you have Alfa Romeo, they're looking at probably battling with Alpine this year. Um, who also have kind of fallen back. There was a lot of buzz, obviously, about their all-French driver lineup, but they haven't really recreated that buzz on track yet. And I think it's worth mentioning as well, Alpha Terry, they have a very young driver lineup, obviously, Nick DeVries. He's not a a full-blown rookie, but he's, you know, as good as. And interestingly, I think the value in them as a sister team is kind of it's on a bit of a sliding scale at the moment. There's been rumors about them being sold even um, by Red Bull. And if you think about it, they haven't really had any driver successfully feed up from Alpha Terry slash Tara Rosso to the Red Bull team since Max Verstappen. And that was seven years ago um, that he moved. And they've also had, in the meantime, had two very public failures of that move with Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon. So I think Alpha Terry is kind of... I don't want to say hanging in the balance because Red Bull obviously has more than enough funding to to run the two teams. But I think there's a, a potentially interesting storyline for the future of that team coming. Yeah, and it, that's a very good point, actually. I hadn't, I didn't, I hadn't realised that. Um, you know, we're listening to Sarah McKenzie here on the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. I hadn't realised that, that it's seven years since the first app and moved up and nothing has happened since. I mean, I agree yeah. with you. Red Bull's budget is as big as it possibly could be when it comes to Formula One, but they still probably have balance sheets. And in in, diff, in financially strained times, if you can mm. put more money into I don't know more wind tunnel or I have no idea, but more more technology side of things, um, anything that give you an edge. And if that means getting rid of AlphaTauri, make no mistake, they'll they'll get rid of AlphaTauri. But I I I think the midfield, the point you made is a very very good point as well about the qualifying session in, in Bahrain recently because that's something I didn't notice that the, the closeness of the field and that it's still early days, but that the perceived weaker teams seem to have made a little bit of a leap as you said and the midfield is more crowded because of it you've talked about Alpine there and Alfa Tauri what about Haas and what about Williams because they're two teams Williams obviously with their history they're nowhere near what they used to be but Haas are a team that always intrigues me and I know you like the driver line up there too are, are we looking at a potential resurgence mid-season with these teams or are they where they're, are, are they where they're going to be come the end of the season? 
I would like to see Haas light things up a bit more. I don't, to be quite honest, and like I did research them, I don't know a huge amount about what they have coming. Um, I feel like we're not seeing as much of Gunter Steiner as we have in previous years, kind of just around the place chatting. You or know, swearing. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> By chatting, I mean cursing, yeah. Um, he, uh, I feel like we're seeing less of him, although he did appear on NASCAR coverage um, over the weekend. But I, I just don't know about Haas. I really don't. Like I say, they have that Ferrari engine technically that should be giving them potential, but I just don't know if their aero package is kind of giving them enough to push them on. I think Williams actually, I'm quite, I'm quite enthusiastic about Williams this year um, because I think their drivers are certainly Alex Albon is outperforming the car. I think he's sort of in the way that George Russell used to kind of drag every ounce of performance out of it. I think he's kind of, he's in that groove with the car as well. And I think the environment there suits him. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if they had a couple of good years under their belt that we sort of see them climb up to where McLaren were maybe like two years ago before they started to slide down. Mm. And I think that's that's reasonable. You know, I think there's going to be a ton of buzz around the fact that they have an American driver mm. once we get to, you know, the American races later this year. So I think actually things are pretty positive for Williams, to be honest, um, outside of the fact that their leadership team is very depleted. Um, and, you know, James Vells, they got him from Mercedes. He was, he said he was shocked at the lack of kind of what he would have considered at Mercedes basic systems and processes that don't exist at Williams. And I think that's good for him to see that because he's going to start pushing for it. Um, you know, it just doesn't exist down there at the end of the grid. Yeah, that's hard to, hard to believe when you consider the history behind that that team. You know better mm-hmm. than I would and Sir Frank Williams and everything they achieved with Damon Hill all, all done through the years. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. It, it is an interesting aspect. Some people, friends of mine that are not into F1, they say, look, take away the first four cars, what are you left with? Well, what you're left with this mm-hmm. year is a very crowded midfield where you know there's an opportunity now for teams. And I, I, I agree with you too on Haas. They have to decide what they want to be. Because you can only go so far with the money that's been invested thus far and no matter what kind of driver you put in there, I think, you're only going to get to a certain level. But if you've got aspirations to overtake, pardon the pun, the likes of McLaren or maybe Ferrari if they keep slipping and maybe Aston Martin if things go north, you know, go north on them, you know, there is an opportunity in the next couple of years, as you said, with the American side of things, with the American interest in it. Unless you're willing to commit, I think from Haas's side, they've been there all along, they've been mid-table, they've been happy enough for it. Unless they're willing to commit now and really invest and go for it, I, I think the opportunity is there for these kind of teams that you've talked about, is it not? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's the way the kind of the funding goes as well with the Constructors' Championship, you know, you they kind of index more wind tunnel time, etc., towards the lower teams because they need it. Um, and then also every point in the constructors championship is worth an awful lot of money. So like I say, with Haas jumping from 10th to 8th, that would have meant, you know, millions of dollars mm. to them. And I think if they can continue to climb, that's obviously going to get fed back into the car. And it should, in theory, it should kind of only fuel them to to perform even better. Fuel them to perform nice little pun there it's as so ever. It's hard to avoid puns in Formula One. <laughs> it's because so you're talking hard. to me too long. That's why <laughs> I live off puns. We're listening to uh, Corkshire FM's resident Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie, here on the Big Red Bench, talking through all the latest Formula One. And we're going to finish up by previewing the Australian GP and some interesting statistics that you have uh, uh, specifically about Red Bull and their main driver heading into Oz. Yeah, so Max Verstappen hasn't won in Australia. 
um, which I is it's one of the few few races that he hasn't won at. And uh, Red Bull hasn't actually won in Australia since 2011. Wow. So it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of was a Mercedes stronghold really for quite a while. Um, and a couple of others sprinkled in there. So I think it'll be interesting. Obviously, Max is going to be gunning for the win and he's going to have Checo there, like most likely right behind him, uh, if not to kind of challenge him. But the other big thing to mention, which hopefully we'll see more overtaking, is um, it's the first circuit that's going to ever have four DRS zones. So that, in theory, should um, definitely encourage overtaking, obviously, DRS is a very heavily used kind of tool for overtaking by the drivers, but typically a circuit would not have more than a max of three zones. Um, There was originally a fourth one last year, but there were a couple of safety complaints from the drivers, so they removed it, but it's back in. So um, I think that's going to be interesting. Uh, Ironically, Fernando Alonso was the one who complained that, uh, that it was just too fast so I don't think he would be, I don't think he'd be making that complaint this year, given where he could be finishing, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. Excellent stuff. That's, I didn't really, again, I didn't realise, didn't know until you, you've informed us once again, Sarah, with your knowledge that, you know, there's four DRS zones in this particular track. That should make for a very, very quick, and now it'll favour, the. you would imagine it would favour Red Bull in the straight line. Um, maybe, you know, uh, the uh, Aston Martin in the corners might gain on it like, uh, like it has done in the previous Grand Prix, but it's going to make for very interesting viewing. I would anticipate just before we finish up that you would expect if everything goes to plan one, two with Red Bull here, or is it going to be, I, but not necessarily what we would, ex- we would uh, anticipate yeah it's, it's going to be that every week isn't it like flip-flopping uh, mm. back and forth between these I think yeah look they as you say they're they're both they're fast both on the straights and in the corners so I think add to that the aggression of both drivers and the fact that they both now actually have a shot at a championship a realistic shot I think there's going to be um I mean, I'd love to see fireworks between them. I think like that's the whole point. You know what I mean? If they're at the front, they might as well be uh, duking it out. And then, yeah, as you say, like <laughs> it's it's any man's guess as to who will finish up in third. But I think definitely Aston Martin mm. looking strong. I think look out for Lance Stroll. Um, you know, he he has performed well despite those injuries and. And he has, you know, the same machinery essentially under him as Fernando Alonso. Okay, he may not have the raw talent or the experience, but he he was looking good. So I think maybe have a look out for him as well. Brilliant. Um, looking forward to that now, even more so after talking to you, like I always do. Uh, the Australian Grand Prix, um, as we said, which is taking place this weekend um, in uh, the Melbourne Grand Prix circuit, uh, Sunday, April the 2nd. And a uh, big uh, lots to look forward to. Like you, I'm here for the racing, but I stay for the drama. Let's hope Checo and uh, <laughs> Max hit each other in the first corner and then it's just a free-for-all after watching those two and then the racing. And so obviously, we don't want to see anybody get hurt. Sorry, we should say no, that. Nor does the big red venture car shred of him endorse anybody getting hurt. Um, once again, Sarah, uh, thanks for your time here on the Big Red Bench. In the meantime, where can we find your uh, videos and your online social media coverage? Yeah, so I've just put a new video out uh, about McLaren on my channel. So if you search Sarah McKenzie F1, you'll find that there. And then I'm also at MacTweets underscore on Twitter. Brilliant stuff. Talk to you next week. Thanks, sir. Missed the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Corks Red FM. The Cork LGFA seniors rounded off their National League Division 1 campaign with a 2-8 to 11-point victory over All-Ireland champions Meath at Parky Ring last weekend. The Big Red Bench was on hand to get aftermatch reaction from Melissa Duggan, Libby Coppinger and Shane Ronane. But first, here is captain for that Meath match, Sarah Leahy. 
Now, Cork captain Sarah Lee, first of all, congratulations. Uh, that was a hard-earned win against the Mead team with a lot of experience, and they put it up to you. Yeah, they absolutely did. Um, I think our first we would be happier with our first half performance, definitely. Um, but Mead, they're never an easy team to play against, but I think we were happy to get the win at the end of the day anyways. Um, yeah, because for two, team, two teams with nothing really riding on this actual game, you really went at it. And I suppose, had you one eye on the fact that it's going to be five weeks before you play a competitive game again? Absolutely, I think um, every league game we learn something new, so we want to end it, end it well, I suppose. So we try to incorporate every lesson that we learn throughout the league, and we're delighted to end it with a win now, coming off to championship in five weeks. How important is this block? I know it's hugely important, but for the younger players, Sarah, like you're the captain, like a lot of the older players know what's coming, but they need to really hit the ground running come provincial championship time. Yeah, no, the next five weeks are absolutely imperative. Um, I think we're really happy with the league campaign that a lot of young girls got game time and they have really valuable experience gotten out throughout the league. The next five weeks, we'll up the intensity at training and that will be really important for the young girls to experience as well uh, in preparation for championship. How have you found the league campaign? Because you know, you've know you had some really tough games at the start. I mean, obviously, you won above Mayo. You got the draw against Waterford and Kilkenny that day. So there's been highs and lows. But overall, I suppose, the fact that you've won your last two games, it's a nice boost now finishing up in the league. Absolutely. I think it's been a really important league campaign for us. I think we've learned really valuable lessons throughout. Um, the fact that we've lost a lot, uh, lost a, a good few games and won a few games, all really valuable experiences for the girls. And I think... It's just the most important thing is that we learn from every match and I think that we have and I think most importantly as well we've really bonded as a group considering that there are a lot, a lot of new faces in as well. Well enjoy the next couple of days because I know you have those off but uh, best of luck in the five week training block. I will of course, thank you so much. Melissa Duggan, congratulations, that was a hard, hard fought win. At times to me it seemed like it was championship intensity, what was it like out in the pitch? Um, yeah it definitely felt uh, like a championship game, you know the crowd really got behind us and everything and uh, it, it was a fantastic crowd there, you know to see the young ones cheering us on, it was great to see and I suppose it was just great to finish the league on a high and with a win, um, it puts us up uh, good for the Munster Championship I think Yeah Shane mentioned that he's giving you a few days off I don't know if you're aware of that just yet but I can see you are um, but it's five weeks to Championship Munster Championship that's a, a very important block for all the panel now Yeah definitely um, I suppose we'll go and enjoy tonight um, it's well deserved you know the girls put in serious effort at training and you know with the league uh, being every game weekend week, on, week out so um, I suppose it's great to have a break now um, do you know this is where the hard part of the season begins uh, we've got a five week block I think so do you know training's going to be intense um, but we're going to enjoy tonight it's it's great to finish on a win and hopefully um, come Friday we'll have a good session behind us you will indeed training session not other sessions you're talking about now just finally from your own point of view you've played a lot of league games this year more so than last year and you're going to play a couple of round robin games in the Munster I imagine that's something that you prefer yeah definitely once um the league fixtures came out this year um, I was delighted that we were going to be playing everybody because it, it is great experience especially if, if you're just on the panel or if you've um, been on the panel maybe last year you didn't get enough game time so it is great to give loads of players game time you saw today like we brought players on and it's great to see the players we bring on. There's no change in the way the team sets up. They, we call them finishers now, and I think that's the correct word for it. We've got starters and we've got finishers, and I think that is, shows a really strong team going forward. 
Well, enjoy the time off briefly and then enjoy the next five weeks and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, thanks. Uh, Libby Coppinger, you came up with an important goal today in a very good first half performance. Second half, Mead really put it up to you, it was really tight. Um, I've asked the other players as well, it's been, it's been, oh you're okay, how are you, Niamh? Um, one of the big things this year, I suppose, for you was to get as much experience for the younger players in the team as possible and you've done that now. But at the end of the league campaign, there's a bit of a break, but from your own point of view, are you happy now with how it finished? I mean, two wins on the bounce and you scored 1-1 yourself today. Yeah, definitely. I suppose like the league was just a massive, all we wanted to do was, I suppose, get players playing time and you know kind of find our feet um, because I think last year the league was almost too short you kind of couldn't get a good run on it but um, no we were, we're, I think we're happy enough with how it went like look we're not in the league final so I suppose that's a little disappointing but there's plenty of time to work on things we want to work on now before a championship so um, I think we have a couple of days off but it'll be into a tough block now for about five weeks before our next game <laughs> we yeah. had it easy with yeah. the, <laughs> the game week on week but um, yeah. yeah no it's good I've not been told anything about the next couple of days but I can tell there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of you know downtime <laughs> perhaps is the best way to put it but that's important because the next month and the five weeks is so important maybe you know this you've been through it yourself Cork have got to be ready to hit the ground running against Tipperary yeah exactly like definitely the way Munster is this year you know you can't be taking anything lightly um, so no we'll kind of reset over the next few days and then go hell for leather for the five weeks that it, that's there um, but yeah no looking forward to it I suppose we've built a lot we have you know there's a, a bit of a different panel there this year um, but it's great to see and you know people coming on are making an impact um, um, and there's no one place is guaranteed so no it's great and I think we have a couple coming back from injury as well so that's great to see so we'll um, just build Just finally uh, sorry just finally from your own point of view as a dual player I think it's worked quite well for the league campaign for yourself for Orla for Hannah you know the game time has been managed do you feel that bit fresher at the end of it? Yeah definitely I think that like the, over the last couple of years the lads really have communicated very well in terms of load and everything like that you know I suppose we're managing training load but they're also if weekends are doubling they're they're being smart in the fact that they're not trying to overwork us if, if they can take us off they will and similar things um, so no very grateful for how they're managing it and just more more of the same please <laughs> Enjoy the downtime and we'll talk to you in the next couple of weeks Excellent. Thanks a million Jerry. Okay first of all Shane running congratulations that's a hard earned win against the battle-hardened Mead All-Ireland winning team. Did you get more out of the, today's league game considering there wasn't much at stake for other teams than you were expecting? Yeah, I suppose, look, uh, I thought it was going to be kicking me today after their disappointing result last weekend. And I suppose, look, they had did Vicky back today and Emma Duggan, Emma Duggan came on for the second half. So did a bit more about them. And I think, um, you know, they, they we, you know, I suppose we don't we think we dealt with their system very well in the second half. You know, they, they got a lot of bodies back and we weren't quick enough transitioning the ball. But look, we're, we're reasonably happy with it. Like, you know, we got game time into players. Look, Darren got a game, got a half a game into her today. Uh, other players got their starts. So look, we're very happy with that. Even look, Sarah Murphy did very well in goals for her first mm. start. So, like, look, it's very important that we have competition in, in the squad. So look, that's I suppose that's the big plus out of today. I was going to mention Sarah because she made some very, very important saves. It was a turning point in the first half. She makes a point blank save. Emma goes on the other end of the pitch and gets a goal fee. But overall, you must be very pleased with her performance. Yeah, looking fair. So she did very, very well. Uh, first start, you know, she she got twenty minutes against Donegal and he touched the ball once. So you know, I suppose today it was it was going to be a baptism, baptism fire for it was meet or you know meet or double our Ireland champions and not that for anything. So as you know, so like I think uh, we're very happy with her. You know, fair and sort. Now look, does we big competition between ourselves and Maeve, and that's what we want to do. You know, we had that last year and we now have it again this year. And I think that's very important. You've got competition everywhere, all over the field. So look, we're delighted with that. Just finally, what happens now between we see Cork on a pitch again? It's about four or five weeks, I think, approximately for the Munster Championship? Well, they can have about five or six days after and then we're, we're back championship training for championship training on, on Friday night and I suppose, look, they can enjoy tonight, uh, you know, enjoy a couple of days off and, and look, we're going to do five hard weeks and get ready for Tipperary on, the, on, on April 30th and look, it's going to be, after that, it's just going to be straight, straight, straight through 
hopefully on, on the middle of August because it's a game on game uh, with very little breaks and look we're, we're looking forward to it I suppose look we finished the league on a, on a high we've won three games in a row and in our year we've probably been in a league semi-final if there was a league semi-final so look we're, we're quite happy where we are but we're, we know we've a lot of work to do yet Excellent. Best luck. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks very much, John. It was a positive weekend for the Cork LGFA miners who qualified for the 2023 Munster LGFA final thanks to victory away to Kerry last Saturday. Leading 1-9-0-2 at the break, Cork added eight additional points in the second period and ran out convincing 117-16 winners in a game played at Brosna GAA Club. On the day, Cork scorers included Anya Hallahan, who weighed in with 1-7, Deirdre Cronin, four points, Maeve Collins and Katie O'Driscoll, two points apiece, and Lily Murray and Brianna Smith also scoring for the Rebels. Cork's uh, standout players included Lily Murray, Katie O'Driscoll, Molly Burke and Laura Mahoney, Maeve Collins and Anya Hallahan. So Cork are now qualified for the Munster final with one round of group games left, and that is against Clare on April 8th. The other games that were scheduled for last weekend in the Munster LGFA um, minor championship were cancelled, so that means Waterford and Clare and Tipperary versus Limerick will have to be reached scheduled but currently uh, the fifth and final round of games are penciled in for April the 8th as we said Cork taking on Clare Kerry taking on Limerick Waterford taking on Tip but Cork already through to the Munster final with one game to spare they'll have to wait I would imagine until April the 8th to find out who their Munster final opponents would be but for now congratulations to Jamie Crowe and his management team and the entire panel uh, reaching a Munster final well done to, to Cork and uh, we'll be looking forward to that uh, just in the middle or towards the end of April now the Cork LGFA under 16 A's and B's are back in Munster Championship action next Sun, next weekend uh, away to Clare. Uh, we'll have a review of both of those games on next week's podcast. The uh, Cork under 16 A's take on Bantir at 4 o'clock in Kilkee on Saturday April the 1st and that game is preceded by a Cork versus Clare under 16 B clash at the same venue with a 2pm throw-in. So both of those teams going really well this year uh, blooding a lot of players this year at both under 16 and minor level which is what it's all about but good luck to all the Cork teams in those upcoming matches. Now, let's turn our attention to the latest action in the Cork LGFA Under-21 Club Championships where we are down to the concluding rounds of what have been a hugely entertaining competitions thus far. In the Cork LGFA Under-21B Championship, Clannacilty travelled to Rathcormac for a county semi-final meeting with Bride Rovers last Sunday evening. A high-scoring encounter went Clans way, 4-18-6-7, thanks to Katie O'Driscoll, 1-4, Keo Mahoney, 2 goals, Ashling Maloney, 5 points, Schaefer Patfield, 1-2, Billy Condon, 3 points, Aoife Flynn-Mead, 2 points, and Rachel DC, 1 point. Clans standout players included Aoife Flynn-Mead, Mary Murphy, Katie Donovan, and Ashling Maloney. The West Cork Club will now face the winners of O'Donovan Rossa and Kinsale's upcoming under-21B County semi-final in the decider. That's because the Skibbereen Club overcame Valley Rovers, 5-6-9 points in last weekend's quarter-final. Leading 3-4 to 4 points at the break, Skip kicked on in the second period and eventually won out, as we said, 5-6 to 9 points. Holly Brickley scored two goals in a point, Emer Byrne got 1-2 and Sarah Hurley got 1-1. Anya McCarthy converted a penalty and Eva Driscoll and Orna McCarthy also got their names on the O'Donovan Rossett team's score sheet. Uh, Valleys battled very hard in the second half in fairness to them. But Skip were just too good defensively um, on an evening. Shona Cronin scored seven points and Kate McEntee and Clean O'Reardon also scored for Valleys. But the under-21B Championship, as we said, down to the business end now. Clannacilty into the final and they'll play in the under-21B decider either O'Donovan Rossa or Kinsale. To the under-21C Football Championship and here as well we have our first finalist. That's because Rock Bond qualified for the under-21 county final following a 3-12 to 6 win over Mallow last weekend. Jen Whelan got 1-4, Sarah McGrath got 2-1 and Laura O'Sullivan, Nikki Hosford, Maria O'Hurley and Aideen O'Sullivan also scored for Rock Bond. It was a great performance by the winners with Sinead O'Leary, Avril O'Sullivan and Jen Whelan, their standout players. Now Rock Bond will have to wait to see who they play in this year's under-21C county final. It's because 
the other semi-final um, has yet to be decided and that'll be played out between Castlehaven who are already into the last four and either Watergrass Hill or Douglas but as we said uh, congratulations to Rockbourne into the under 21C decider and they'll know in the next week or two who they'll play in that final once the other semi-final is decided we're also down to the last four in this year's Cork LGFA Under 21D Championship. Ross Carberry will take on Liz Gould in one semi final, and Yall and Iban Ladies will meet in the other semi final. Iban received a walkover from Owendala last weekend and will travel to Yall in the last four after the latter had previously knocked out Ballancolic. Liz Gould enjoyed a big quarter final win over Mitchellstown and will take on Ross Carberry Ladies following the West Cork Club's narrow quarter final victory over Ballinhasic last weekend. Ross travelled to Ballinhasic and registered a 1 6 to 1 5 victory. Maeve Kingston got the all-important goal with Mary-Kate Hennessy, Breed Collins, Lauren O'Donovan, El Nohi, Killian French and Sandra O'Donohue also scoring for Ross Carberry. And as we said, we're down to the semi-finals there as well in the under-21D uh, football championship. Ross Carberry taking on this gold and you all taking on Iban ladies. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. The Cork Senior Camogie team lost for the first time in their final Very Ireland Camogie National League Division 1A outing at home to Galway in Parky Cueve last weekend. Already qualified for this year's National League decider, Cork were still disappointed to lose 111-110 to their upcoming National League final opponents. The Big Red Bench was on hand to get aftermatch reaction from Cork Camogie's senior mentor, Germanley. But first, here's Cork's Laura Tracy with an honest assessment of Cork's solitary National League defeat. OK, disappointment at the result, but another very, very good performance and you're going to face this team again in a National League final, so you know what to expect. Yeah, look, I suppose um, we need to look at the positives of today, I guess, um, when we're reviewing this game. Um, it's probably very fresh in my mind at the moment and there's probably a few frustrations from um, different sides of how that game went. But um, no, look, we blooded new blo- um, players into the game today. They got a big run out against the top class team. Galway had to come down and win this game today and they showed their quality. They were very good today and they were deserving winners in the end. Very windy conditions. The wind seemed to be changing all the time. Was it hard on the, on the pitch side? Uh, yeah, I feel like it was a bit more of a, a wind that was going across the field in the first half and then it kind of changed in Galway's favour there. But look, um, that's no excuse for us today. I guess um, we, we have to go back and regroup now um, three weeks before we play them now um, in a league final. So that's going to be a massive battle. Overall, very, very good league campaign. Four consecutive wins coming in today and you got to within a point and right near the end there. You've blooded a lot of new young players, as you've said as well. Maybe today's a good learning curve. Absolutely. We can, we can only learn from today. You know, there's loads of different um, aspects of our game that we have to improve on and it's early in the year as well, like we're only in March and loads of girls getting great opportunities out there today and in other games throughout the league. So, no, we're looking forward to the year ahead, but uh, loads to improve on. Well, we'll talk to you at the league final. Well done. Cheers, Jay. Okay, look, obviously disappointment, you know, one point loss and having won all the games coming into it, but you're already in a league final, you got a good look at the team you're going to be playing and a lot of young players have had a good run this season, so there's a lot of positives still to be taken. Yeah, a lot of positives, look, our, our aim has started the, the league campaign, was get to the final, disappointing to lose, but look, they're a very good Galway team, we know that from last year, and they came at full strength today, and look, we have a few injuries in that, but uh, I thought the girls have come on did well, the first time some of them had played in a, starting a national league game, um, supposed to get an unfortunate goal, but look, that makes teams stronger, I, I thought we came back well after the goal again, but of course there was a decision one or two frees that went their way there in front of the goals like putting their foot in the ball very harsh at that and at the end of the day that was the winning point so look I know we're happy enough with it overall the league campaign we have a final in three weeks and I think Galway are thrown out to the final against us so look it's good to play the best teams that's what you need to get prepared for championship 
That's the one thing with you this year as well, Jordan, consistency, because you went up to Tipperary and one, you went to Kilkenny and one, and you've won your home games when they came about, and you're trying to build a panel just to get, you know, it's not going to be a 15 that wins it for you this year, it's going to be 2025. No, uh, yeah, Matthew, still out his stall, started the air, like he changing his round. Uh, we've an excellent coach, and uh, Liam Cronin, top class, and uh, I think everything is going well for us. A lot of new players got games, mm. and the older players are coming back. Look, we've two Mackies coming back now from the older Cronin mid. She hasn't played in quite a bit, yeah. and look, she came in today for a few minutes to give her a bit of game time, and look, there's a few more that will be back as well for the next day. But look, it's building a squad. You need us. Like we got so many injuries. God, with four crucials, which is for the girls, they're working very hard. But look, um, will they see game time? Hopefully, some of them will. But you just don't know with crucials. But um, we've been very unlucky with um, with injuries this year. I think another answer for how important is the three-week block between now and the league, and how much you get in. I oh, definitely the dual players. Like um, we hadn't told her Kellan today. She's. Poor, uh, like she's after playing a lot of matches Libby Carpenter I suppose would you leave her on for all the matches probably not but today look we had to leave her on I suppose she's, she's an unbelievable player you've had a lonely playing match Evie Healy has been injured mm. but look, the jewel thing in Cork is, is a big thing and it's just unfortunate mm. that we've so many talented players that can play both codes uh, finally a league final to look forward to something to aim for which I think is yes. good for the players as well and even from talking to a couple of them they're, they're not happy with today's results so they'll want to rectify that no they're, they're hard themselves like mm-hmm. you can see like they're, they're elite players like even well on both sides of male hurling and female and they're very elite like they want to win all the time and the important thing for them is that um, the next day what's the thing about sports another day and I think the next day gives us something to aim for now well done, Joe. We'll talk to you again. All right, Joe. Sounds good. Now, the Cork Camogie Intermediates defeated Kilkenny 2 9 to 7 in Piltown to go joint top of the very National Camogie League Division 2B group last weekend. The victory cemented Cork's plays in the National League Division 2B final ahead of Trevor Coleman's side's final fixture away to Wexford. Cork scored, scored both of their goals in the opening half with Fiona Nelligan and Claudia Keane finding the net and a solid defensive display ensured Trevor Coleman's team left Kilkenny with three more points. Cork scorers on the day included Cleena O'Leary who got four points, three of those coming from freeze. We mentioned Claudia Keane and Fiona Nelligan's goals but Rachel Harty, Lucy Allen, Rose Murphy, Yvine Kidney and Kira Golden all getting a point apiece. So the Division 2 table looks like this. Cork top of the table, 3 out of 3, plus a scoring difference of plus 41. They're on 9 points. Kilkenny, who they beat, uh, finished now with their 4 games. They've also got 9 points. And Wexford and Tip uh, are on 3 apiece and Galway on 0. So irrespective of how Cork do away to Wexford on April 8th, it won't make any difference. They are into the Division 2B final where they will face Kilkenny following that victory over the aforementioned Leinster side. So well done to Trevor Coleman and his management team and the entire panel there on reaching a league decider. They've had a lot of changeover in players in the last couple of weeks, so it makes it even more impressive. Now, the Cork Under-16s qualified for this year's Munster Camogie Under-16 Championship final following a 5-11-10 points defeat of Waterford at the SETU campus in Waterford last weekend. At half-time, Cork led by 1-9 to 5 points, but four second-half goals cemented a 5-11 to 10 victory. In the opening half, Catherine Murphy... Uh, Rachel Murphy were amongst the points for the eventual winners. Annie Mulkerns, Laura Walsh, Tara Goulding, Kira Kelher also scored and Maeve O'Brien netted the first of the Rebels' goals. In the second half, four goals, Tara Goulding, Annie Mulkerns, Rachel Murphy and Nat- Natalia Galka um, found the back of the net with two more Rachel Murphy points rounding off a very, very impressive win for the Cork under-16s into a Munster final. Congratulations to them. Their management team of John Maloney, Deirdre Toomey, Michelle Gould, Mark Kavanagh and John Brosnan uh, were on target in that one. The team itself uh, that have lined out uh, against Waterford this past weekend, Anna Kearney in goal from Black Rock, Keelan Ryan from Newtown Chandram, Avril Cagney from Mallow, Sophie Pomeroy from Sarsfields, Sarah Burrows from Newcestown, Ashling Cossan from Ballinhasig, 
Kira Murphy from Mayroog, Aoife Cottrell from Ballon Hasig, Catherine Murphy from Kinsale, Laura Walsh, Mallow, Kira Kelleher uh, from Cladove, Rachel Murphy from Ballinora, Maeve O'Brien from Inneskeen, Tara Goulding from Ballincollig, and Ali Mulcairns from St. Catharines, Emma Honahan from Inneskara, Eva McSweeney from Leacre Og, Lily O'Shea from Mahabulog, Nikki Hosford from Rockbarn, Natalia Golka from the Piercig, Kate McEntee from Valley Rovers, Saoirse Cunningham, Aaron's own, Emer O'Callaghan from Sarsfields, Grainne O'Neill from Bantir, Millie Lumbert from Ballinhasig, Leisha Ahern, Air Og, Eva Cotter from Castle Lyons, Jessica Murphy Bally, uh, from Black Rock, Eva McCullough from Castle Martyr, and Kate O'Sullivan from Middleton. So as we said again, well done to John Maloney in the under-16s, defeating Waterford in a scoreline of 5-11-0-10 to reach this year's Cork uh, Munster under-16 uh, Camogie final and we wish them all the best in that. Now another team that's been very busy of late is the Cork Under 17 Development Squad and Tony Daly is involved here and this is the group um, that are between uh, coming out of Under 16 and going on to minor and just keeping that group involved and keeping those players uh, together in a Cork jersey training and preparing and playing against other counties um, and it's a, it's refreshing to see so many of those players still involved and the Cork Under 17 has defeated Limerick and defeated them well uh, last weekend in a game in which each of the Cork Under 17 Development Squad got game time each of the players there was their first outing of the season they hadn't actually trained properly yet but it was a great all-around performance lots to be positive about and we're going to be hearing a lot more about this under-17 development squad as the year progresses with Donny Daly good win for them over Limerick uh, to get things up and running and that current Cork under-17 development panel is made up of the following players uh, Ailey Scanlon from Ballincollig Ashley Crowley from Ballyhay Anna Foley from Mahabullock Anna Nestor from Sarsfields uh, Ivan O'Neill from Aaron's Own, Aoife O'Mahony from Kilbritton Tim League, Blahine O'Connor from Newtown Shandrum, and Quiva Nibukula from Barry Row. Emer uh, Norton from Aaron's Own, Ellen Sexton, Kilbritton Tim League, Ellie Buckley, Ahabulog, Ellie McAuliffe from Ballinora, Emma O'Sullivan from Cladove, Grace Nine from, Kin- or from Enniscarra, and Grani O'Leary from um, Grace Nine from Inneskeen, apologies, and Grania O'Leary from Inniscarra, Heather Cunningham from Douglas, Kate O'Sullivan, Black Rock, Caitlin Roddus from Bride Rovers, Louise O'Neill from Ballinora, Molly Hilliard from Inneskeen, Nessa Tracy from Sarsfields, Nikki Parrell from Bride Rovers, Robin Hickey, Castle Lions, Ruby Kennedy, Yall, Sinead Roach, Glen Rovers, and Keely Goulding from Rock Bourne. The Cork Miners are back in Electric Ireland Minor A All Ireland Championship action following the postponement of their scheduled class with Tipperary due to a bereavement last weekend. Jerry Wallace's side will take on Kilkenny in Freshford at 2 o'clock on Sunday. The current Electric Ireland Minor A All Ireland Championship table looks like this Galway are top of the table on maximum points, 3 out of 3, uh, 9 points. They lead Kilkenny, who Cork are playing this weekend by three points. Kilkenny have six from their three outings. Then you've got Tip and Cork, who have only played twice. They're still on three points, as are Waterford, who are on three points, and Dublin yet to get off the mark. Now, we wish Jerry Wallace and the Cork Miners all the best in that. They'll be looking to get back to winning ways, playing Kilkenny in Freshford at 2pm on Sunday. Um, I wish them all the best in their latest Electric Ireland Minor A All-Ireland Championship Camogie outing. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. AFLW expert and Aussie Rules coach to the stars, Mike Curran, is back on the Big Red Bench to give us his expert opinion on all the latest on and off-field AFLW news. Mike has over 20 years' experience of the AFLW, playing, coaching and managing, and remains an integral link between future Irish AFLW stars and a first contact for all those Irish women currently under AFLW contracts in Australia. Okay, it's time for our regular AFLW segment, and I'd say the timing could not be better because we are headlines galore, so let's get dive straight into it with the main man himself, AFLW Ireland, coach to the stars, um, the man who has all the inside gossip and knows exactly what's happening, and that is Mike Curran here on the Big Red Bench. Mike, how are you? 
Very good, Jared. It's, it's hard to know where to start, but we'll, we'll try and get through it. Yes, it has been headlines galore, as I said. Let's start, first of all, with that blockbuster news overnight that three Tipperary LGFA players have signed on the deadline day. Yeah, this is absolutely crazy. On deadline day, as you said, rookie deadline day approached, and literally with minutes to spare, uh, these players signed on the dotted line. So three Tipperary players, two of them are going to Geelong Cats. So we've got Anna Rose Kennedy, and Ashley Maloney, two fantastic players on their way to Geelong Cats. Um, obviously, Ashley Maloney, one of the best players in footballer in the country, just back this season from injury and in flying form again. Anna Rose Kennedy only captioning DCU to O'Connor Cup success a couple of weeks ago. Big week for Geelong Cats. Their head coach, Dan Lauder, and captain Megan McDonald were in Ireland across the last week. I actually was out for a kick with Dan the other evening, so great to get on the oval with him. But they are heading back to Australia with a big haul. Two fantastic players from Tipperary, who will join up with Rachel Kearns, and that makes it three Irish AFLW players at Geelong for the coming season, along, of course, with their Irish men's signings as well. So, big, big presence at Geelong. It is, and the fact that it's three players, obviously, this is going to create even more headlines, Mike, um, because it's the you know the number of players that have gone out from Tipperary. It's a big loss to Tipperary, obviously. But the fact that uh, this happened so quickly, obviously there was things in the works. These are and, and these particular players that are actually going over, they're very, I know Ashley, and definitely, they're very, very suited to this. Absolutely. I know we didn't even get to the third tip player yet, which is Neve Martin. So Anna Rose Kennedy's midfield partner, Neve Martin, also signed last minute and she's going to North Melbourne. So again, a fast, pacey midfielder player who's very exciting to watch, breaks lines, gets through tackles and stuff like that. So yeah, all very last minute, all temporary players. Um, if you look at it initially, you might think it's a big wipeout for tip, but already both clubs have confirmed that all players are going to stay and finish out the LGFA Championship here. And already there's indications that, that they have the flexibility to come back and play next season. So again, we touch on this a lot when these headlines break and there's news of big players leaving. The, the AFLW clubs are doing their best to work with the players and the counties here at home to make sure that the, the players are happy and they're able to f- fulfil both their commitments. So as it stands, um, there's no need for panic for Tipperary fans just yet. They're going to have all their players for uh, the upcoming LGFA season. But yeah, massive news to see three players signed. And as you say, these things are in the works, but when they all get announced on, on deadline day, it just adds to the drama and the excitement. It certainly does. And good that you mentioned that as well, that those players are available for their counties. I think that's an important thing going forward as well for a lot of LGFA fans who might have been a bit worried when they saw that this morning, especially in Tipperary. Um, it's good to hear that there's a bit of understanding across the other side of the world. They understand where they're coming from and their commitments here. Hopefully it'll all work out for them. We also have news, as well as those three Tipperary players, of a new signing for the Gold Coast Suns. Yeah, and on, on any other given day, this would be the last headline on, on its own right. Neve McLaughlin, Irish Player of the Year 2022, of course, from Donegal, is going to Gold Coast Suns. We, we touched on it last week that there might be another player heading to Gold Coast. It was confirmed since that Neve McLaughlin has signed and is heading up to, to Queensland to Gold Coast where she'll join up with Clara Fitzpatrick, who has traded over from St Kilda. Again, uh, there's nothing we need to say about Neve McLaughlin. She deservedly won Player of the Year last year in the LGFA brilliant, fast, um, nippy, pacey midfielder with a bit of experience as well. And she has gone to Gold Coast despite big interest from a number of big clubs um, to take up a new challenge there where she's going to try and see if she can contribute something to a building and developing mm. team to push them further up the table. So Neva is excited to be heading to Gold Coast. Um, I've been working with her across the last few months. Gold Coast are excited to have her coming over. So yeah, 
absolutely huge one as well. Neve McLaughlin off to Gold Coast. And just on that, before we, we get off the topic of, of, of Neil McLaughlin, uh, Mike, it, it is a big step because it's, as you said, it, Gold Coast are developing. They're trying to move up the ladder, obviously want to improve. And somebody with her experience now, both on and off the pitch, I would imagine, is a huge, is a huge boon for them. Absolutely, 100%. You know, uh, when clubs are selecting players and they're looking at their lists, we've mentioned it before, they often come with almost, for want of a better description, a shopping list. Like to me, and they say, like, we need we need an experienced midfielder, we need a tall, fast player, whatever. So, yeah, in certain cases where you've got, like, um, developing squads and young squads like that, someone like Neve McLaughlin coming into Suns is going to make a huge difference. We saw it a couple of weeks ago with Jennifer Higgins coming into Sydney Swans. Again, an experienced leader, um, strong physical player just to kind of balance that and bring those young Aussie players along and help build the culture at the club so it's very exciting for these players to be getting into these clubs at these stages as well so that they can kind of help grow that culture uh, set the standards I suppose one of the things all of the Irish players are known for across the board is their out and out competitiveness and the Aussie clubs love that and it just helps and lifts everybody around them when they hit the oval when they do get out there for, for pre-season Indeed. Uh, we're talking here on the Big Red Bench to AFLW Ireland's Mike Curran about all the big signings on deadline day in the AFLW. The new season coming up. Three Tipperary players signed. Neil McLaughlin heading to the Gold Coast Suns. But Mike, I would put it to you that the next topic we're going to talk about on any other day of the year would would flood the airwaves, take all the headlines, and that is the retirement of one of Ireland's greatest exports and AFLW's best ever players, Cora Staunton. Without a question there, yeah. As I say, the, the, uh, the biggest headline on its own, again, in any other circumstance. But we preempted it last week. Everyone was waiting on the decision. It was confirmed yesterday. Cora has retired. Uh, there, there are not enough words to describe it, I suppose. If Cora never went to Australia, she was already a legendary status, guaranteed, you know, playing for Mayo from the age of 13 to 36, like uh, four All-Ireland, seven All-Stars, the list is in it. But to go to Oz at 36 years old, the Trailblazer, the first Irish player internationally to go over there uh, when GWS Giants and Al McConnell took a punt on her all those years ago. She has since played six seasons. Uh, she's played 50 games and how appropriate and fitting that her last game in, in season seven was her 50th game. Mm-hmm. She scored 55 goals. She's second in the all-time um, goal-scoring uh, charts for AFLW. You know, the list is endless. She's been the oldest player ever to play the game. The, the one record that she doesn't want to talk about, but, but what a feat. Like, uh, she's not just played over there, she's dominated the game for six years and has made herself a superstar in a second sport on the other side of the world. It's it's literally hard to put into words. Obviously, such a champion, such a role model for, for other players and uh, everybody, absolutely everybody on both sides of the world, the messages have been flooding in for Cora, um, wishing her the best in her retirement. And I'm sure it's not a decision she took lightly, but yeah one of the all-time greats across multiple codes and we will forever have those highlight reels we're looking at some of them already across the last couple of days it's hard to pick them out she's got so many but yeah what a star and the very best to look to her in whatever she decides to do next as I'm sure we'll see plenty more of Cora I hope so and uh, I think we will certainly in terms of her punditry career as well she's she's already off to a fantastic start there but I think you've, you've summed it up as best as you possibly could in the time we have Mike and we could dedicate a whole podcast to Cora Staunton and maybe sometime down the road we might just do that and get to talk to her but for now we like yourself and everybody here on this side of the world and in Australia wishes her all the best what a career what a player and what a role model before we leave the uh, new signings there are also some news of some re-signings and I had the uh, pleasure to witness two of those re-signings recently as well the North Melbourne Kangaroos Vicky Wall and Eric O'Shea going toe-to-toe against each other in last weekend's Meath and Cork National Football League Division 1 clash, which was very interesting. Neither of them held back, as you won't be surprised to hear. 
uh, Mike. <laughs> but we've got news of Kangaroos re-signing as well as a couple of other franchises. I'm not one bit surprised to hear that. And Vic, Vicky and Ricky, as they're now affectionately known, as <laughs> Kangaroos, obviously teammates for half the year and then uh, arch enemies again for the other half of the year. It's, a, it's an amazing dynamic and two fierce competitors. But yes, uh, obviously um, it wasn't in doubt, but it's great to see it officially announced that Vicky and Erica have re-signed for North Melbourne for the coming year. We also had uh, a couple of other signings announced uh, as well. Neve Kelly is back at Adelaide Crows and we had Ash Mack confirmed as back as West Coast Eagles. So these are all expected, but we still just wait for the, the re-signing confirmations to come out as, as clubs finalise their lists um, coming into the draft, which we're going to touch on in a minute. So yeah, we've had new signings, multiple signings, retirements, and re-signings. <laughs> it's been one crazy week. It's March, Mike. <laughs> it's March. It's March. <laughs> but it's all good. Um, before we finish up, you touched on it there. The draft is coming. But as of right now, and as we record this podcast, how many Irish players are we looking at talking about for this coming season? So as it stands today, uh, 28. Wow. We are up to 28 Irish players. So we had 22 Irish players uh, last season. Factoring that there's been two retirements for Cora, we just mentioned, and Breed Stack, obviously, who retired a, a bit earlier in the season as well. And then we've had the Ailish Constein and Megan Ryan as the 2D listing. So we're back to 18. There's 10 new Irish players confirmed already now. As of today, with the three tip players bring it up to 10. So we are up to 28 Irish players. The draft is coming. Nominations have closed on Tuesday. The draft is on next Tuesday, the 4th of April. Um, it's not going to be as hectic um, as other years because of the way that the draft is set up and because a number of clubs have finalised their lists. But there are certainly plenty of Irish players in the draft, both from here at home and based in Australia. And there's a high likelihood that we'll see at least another one, if not a couple of players in the draft. But you can never tell. The draft is what it is. It's on the night. Nothing is guaranteed. But we're at 28. I wouldn't bet on us not getting to 30 or very close to it, which will be a phenomenal number for season 2023. And there's the teaser to listen to the next podcast here on the Big Red Bench with Mike Coran in the AFLW section. It's March and we've all these headlines, so much to talk about. Season's a long way off, but I don't think the headlines are going to stop Mike over the coming weeks. But for now, because I know how busy you are, really appreciate the time as always. Thank you for joining us here on the Big Red Bench. No problem, Jerry. Pleasure as always. Thank you. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Corks Red FM. Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan joins me on this week's Big Red Bench to offer us her expert opinion on all things rugby and review all the latest provincial, clubs, schools and adult results, scorers and upcoming fixtures. Plus, we have all the latest Munster Rugby and International Rugby news making the headlines. Okay, it has been a very hectic time on both the international and the club scene in Munster Women's Rugby quarters and we're here with the Munster Women's Rugby chairperson Wendy Keenan as ever to take us through all the latest happenings on uh, at club as we said and at uh, international level. Wendy, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? I'm great, Jared. Thanks a million. Good to talk to you again. Now, we have to start unfortunately with a very, very disappointing 31-5 TikTok Women's Six Nations defeat for Ireland at the hands of Wales at the Cardiff Arms Park last weekend. It was disappointing. No way of getting, no way of getting around it. A lot of talk and, and chatter after the game. But from your own perspective and somebody that's been involved in rugby for so long, um, what were your takeaways from that? I think it was, as you mentioned, it's a very disappointing um, result from Ireland. Uh, but it was a disappointing performance. Um, I think it was an underperformance if, from what I've seen of them and the way they've developed of late. You know, we talk that they're in a development stage and they are. But, I mean, we were really pushed around up front and that's very worrying. Um, especially in key positions. Um, you know, a very slow ball going out to the back. You know what I mean? For them to try and create something to do. 
Um, if we look at back to two years ago um, when we played this match, um, mm. we won the match 45 nil. You know, soon after, Wales make a big announcement about, you know, to mean professional contracts and, you know, what they were going to do to improve the game. And and here they are and uh, extremely dominant over the, the Irish women. Um, look, it, I mean, it is worrying, but I suppose the fact that it was an underperformance, mm-hmm. um, I think, we, you know, to mean, we'll see a much better performance this week. We have a big ask against um, France and I do think they'll play much better. I mean, we are, I suppose, behind in that development stage in terms of our contracts only in since before Christmas. You know what I mean? The girls are probably only in, in that professional setup since November. Um, they have a bit of a catch up now to do on that. But um, yeah, I suppose, look, disappointing kind of sums it up, really, doesn't it? It does. And I suppose, look, there was a lot of chatter afterwards about the players going off in the sevens, the international sevens that were, were involved or weren't going to be involved. There's a lot of, I think there's a lot more emphasis and kind of attention now being put on the Irish management team. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't know, because a lot of the changes that were made in the second half of that game had the desired effect and that Ireland got on top for quite a bit. They got a try near the end, albeit a consolation. Um, France are coming here having played, having had to push themselves to beat Italy 22-12. And I watched the highlights of all of this. Um, what struck me from that match, Wendy, is not so much that France are strong, which they are. I think France and England, I, and you would probably back me up on this, are the two favourites, as England proved themselves, um, for the Six Nations at the beginning of the tournament. But Italy were no pushover whatsoever against France, and France really had to put in an effort to beat them. So from Ireland's point of view, if it was a bad day at the office, fair enough. But this Six Nations where I think from the outside, a lot of people thought, yeah, England and France probably are too strong for us. But Italy showed that they're not going to be any pushovers. And obviously Scotland will want to avoid a wooden spoon if they're in that position when the time comes. All of a sudden, it's just the way the Six Nations is. You know, we need a performance in Musgrave Park on yeah. Saturday. We definitely need a performance. But, you know, more than anything, uh, we can't let this one start to slip away from us because it could turn sour very quickly. Yeah, I, I mean, we're we're facing an uphill battle here on Saturday. You know, we're coming in against France, like a really f- strong French time, um, you know, French side. And yeah, I mean, Italy did put it up to them at the weekend, you know, very strong in the pack. Um, again, very strong up front and did and did push them around um, a little bit. But I mean, we've seen the talent that's in that French squad, you know what I mean, over the last couple of years. You know, we're not there. There's no point in saying that we are. It's going to be a huge, huge performance needed on Saturday to put it up to France so that we don't let you know what I mean have a, have a big score against us now on the plus side it's in Cork mm. we'll give them that Cork welcome you know we're trying to fill that stadium as best we can Um, you know we, we hear of all the clubs and I'm getting contacted left right and centre about tickets you know clubs are bringing big numbers they're travelling the parents are coming to the matches and hopefully we can just you know what I mean give them that you know that extra man on the sidelines to, to give that encouragement to to push the game on and, and put it up to France we've seen the under 20s do it so look hopefully the Ireland women will do the same and Look, there'll be lots of learning curves um, in relation to what happened last week. I don't want to identify any players, but we did have players there that were coming into international games for the first time ever. Mm. That's a very big ask. You know, your first Six Nations game, you know, your first international game. Um, we didn't have international games as warm-ups this year. Maybe that is a factor in it. Um, and maybe that's something that we need to look at for the future. I know we did have the Celtic Cup, but I suppose they're all questions to be asked. And, you know, we're looking at a new season plan coming out for the next three years you know what I mean, and and built into that, no, but no doubt, will be those important matches to, I suppose, lift the standard of the game for those international players. Yeah, and this is it. Look, it's a it's a bad day at the office against Wales. It's a, uh, as we said, our 
the, the life cycle of what the Irish international women's teams are starting off with. Wales are a little bit ahead of us. I think a good performance, even if we don't get the win necessarily against France, but we put it up to them and the crowd get behind the Irish team and they get, uh, as you said, that lovely Cork welcome that all away teams get. I think the Irish pairs will respond to it, hopefully. And look, I think it could be very, it could be a lot tighter than people might think on Saturday. I hope. And I do think so, because mm. I mean, we have some players there that look, they didn't perform, uh, experienced players, I would say, that didn't perform to the level that we expected them to do. Um, last weekend and that, that will hurt you know and they'll have taken that hurt into training this week and I'm sure they'll come up all guns blazing there on Saturday to, to turn that around Yes you're talking it up brilliantly so that's on in Musgrave Park this Saturday so anyone that's listening to this that's involved in Munster Women's Rugby or not involved in any kind of rugby but if you want to get down to Musgrave Park go and get some tickets and get behind the Irish team they need our support playing France in the TikTok Six Nations Women's Rugby uh Championship second round of that. We wish Ireland all the best and we hope for an improved performance. Now, to domestic matters, and as ever, it is crazy with the number of underage cup and played and development cup finals to talk about. Uh, Wendy, what have you got? We have three weekends of finals coming up, so it's going to be busy. So let's start with uh, two venues in operation this weekend Cork and Limerick. So we'll start in Cork on. So at 11.30, we've got our under 14 cup final, and that is Dunmanway Bantry versus Gary Owen. At 12.45, we were under 16 cup final, and that is Shannon versus Clonakilty. And at 2.15, we have the under 18 plate final, and that's Ballincollig versus Bruff. So that under 18 cup final had to be moved. Unfortunately, we have orals coming in now on Sundays and the weekends, so we're trying to avoid those as best we can. So we're moving matches to Good Friday there to accommodate that. A busy day then in Gary Owen, four different finals on. So we'll start with the under 14 bowl final, and that's Killarney versus Feathered. That'll be followed by the Shield final, which will be Balling- at under-14, Ballincollig versus Bandington Sale. Um, at under-14, plate final then, we've got Ennis versus Ballinacolulu uh, uh, Scarif, or an amalgamation there. And to finalise that day, we'll have the under-16 plate final, and that's Carrie Thurless versus Ennis. Yes, again, the thing that jumps out at me there, huge crop across all the province of clubs and uh, amalgamated teams involved and that's going to be some fantastic rugby. Can you give us the dates for those games? Actually, Wendy, sorry, I didn't ask you for those. Next Sunday, so the day after the International, so the 2nd of April, Very good. they'll all be kicking off. Brilliant stuff. Lots to look forward to. A lot of Cork clubs involved there as well, including my own local club, but we won't get parochial just yet. We'll wish everybody as always all the best and we'll get all the details again next week from you on the Big Red Bench. We finish with news of Skibbereen, who we I witnessed uh, overcoming Westport. They have, they're have they on the road in their All-Ireland Junior Cup semi-final. Yeah, I just really want to wish them the very best of luck. Look, a very strong team, very competent performance in their last round of the match, you know, when they uh, had the big win over Westport. But they faced, faced Tullamore. The Tullamore are an experienced side. Um, you know, they've done well in the league that they're in in Leinster. So look, fingers and toes and everything else crossed um, for Skibreen. This is the semi-final. We'd love to see them in the final and we just wish them um, the very best of luck. The other thing I do want to mention um, before we sign off is People are going to start noticing now um, signs and advertising for Give It A Try Rugby. Um, so if you have a little girl at home and they give it a try, your local club will be offering it. And it's just to give them a taste, a little six or eight week taste of, of rugby to see if they like it. Um, it's lots of fun and, um, you know, love to see new girls joining up. Indeed, as ever, uh, pushing the next generation of players on, uh, Wendy Keenan, no better woman. And uh, a special word too for all the coaches and parents and mentors involved in trying to corral those youngsters and keep them happy. Uh, but it's uh, it's a very, very good idea and the first step, hopefully, for a few players on a long, long pathway right to the Munster setup. But uh, it's all about fun and involvement and uh, starting off. 
Yeah, look, it's really important and, you know, as important that, you know, even if you're not interested in rugby and you never want to play, to come along on Saturday and support our Irish team. Look, it's going to be a fun occasion, you know, 3.15 on Saturday. Often people are looking for, you know, something to do in the afternoon, you know what I mean, with the, with the kids. And look, we'd love to see, you know what I mean, to be near sellout would be absolutely fantastic. We know we probably won't get there, but um, if we can get as many bodies as we can in shouting for those Irish girls, that's really important. Absolutely, and a good positive way to end this week's segment on Munster Women's Rugby. Once again, from everybody here on the Big Red Bench, thank you very much, Wendy Keenan, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks, Millinger. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m., Cork's Red FM.